Isn't that so good? And thank you for being part of uh, Get Well this morning. Uh, thanks for making this a priority. Uh, as we understand just all that God has been doing here, and as Jonathan said, we've been in this sermon series where we've been talking about uh, love for God and people. Love for God was our first Sunday. Love for the church, the second. Love for family was uh, the third. And today we get to talk about love for the unbeliever. Now, a rabbit trail that goes right along with that would be love for those who've drifted far from God. Because that's included with this love as well. Uh, what is your faith story? Uh, if you were called on today, what would be your story of rescue? How would that be defined? And what would you say to someone else? Uh, I want you to watch the screen because we're going to see a testimony, a faith story, a rescue story uh, from Amanda Jane Cooper. Uh, so watch with me. I don't think I ever really believed that it was possible to be totally free. But I was wrong. Even though I was in front of thousands of people every night getting affirmation, I didn't know if I was really seen. For four years, I was like in a leotard doing all kinds of everything theater related and acting related, movement, dance, voice. It was great, but I didn't have an understanding of who I really was. I didn't know what made me matter other than like, oh, that's Amanda, she's really cute on stage. That was what I did, it was who I was. Without me even like knowing it, success started to slowly become my God. And I said, oh, okay, if I can achieve this, if I can get this role or something, that I'll, I'll be enough. I began to develop an eating disorder out of seemingly nowhere. I remember I ate this dessert and I, something in me was just like, you have to get this out. I threw up for the first time um, on purpose. I pushed so hard that I actually had um, a blood vessel burst in my eye and my whole eye was red with blood. I just knew right away, I was like, I just like have to tell my mom. And I called her and of course, you know, her heart broke and she didn't really know what to do. She did the best she could to help me, but I had this, just a hatred and a judgment of my body. I felt like, okay, this, I have to make my body a certain way. That began a really, really hard journey of basically starve myself during the day and then binge at night. I would go out at like 3 a.m. to a place where I knew nobody would be to binge because I was too embarrassed that somebody might see me. I didn't like pictures of myself. And then you're in school for like performance, a thing where people are looking at you every day. Feeling lost about my body, I started becoming careless with who I shared my body with. Got so fed by other people's attention and what other people thought of me, that I would put myself in very dangerous and compromising situations in order to get that. 
Now I'm here, I graduated, I gotta prove myself, I gotta make it. The pressure was, was more. I was addicted to porn. It was something that I felt like I needed just to go to sleep. Shoplifted? To feel something. Why am I not okay? I got everything, like what else? It was that tension of like being seen, but not being seen because nobody knew. Cause I didn't tell me. Binged, starving, hurt myself, crying, sad. I hate you. This war inside me was just like ravenous. And it almost became a place of comfort because dealing with the pain was less scary to me than the pain of what it would take to change. I remember this one time in my car, mascara just streaming down my face, rocking back and forth, and I was like, I hate you, 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 I hate you. I was at a Hollywood rap party one night. Everybody's kind of like dancing, drinking, doing the thing, whatever, and I meet this woman. Her name is Alice Isaac. Something about her was really safe. For like 45 minutes, I just poured out my life to her, and she loved me back to life. It was this giving to me in a sacrificial way of giving me her time, wisdom. She was my mentor and the hands and feet of this Jesus that I had heard about in my childhood. And to think, wow, there's a God who sees me and knows me and loves me despite knowing all about me. My soul just knew this is what I need. I need a savior. I can't, I can't do it by myself. Because of Jesus, because of God, my identity is as his daughter. And my worth, no matter if I'm in a princess gown or if I'm in my sweatpants or if I'm a high achiever or going through it, I can be sure that I'm loved, forgiven, seen, known, free. My name is Amanda Jane Cooper and I am second. Amanda's story of rescue, uh, what stood out for you from her story? What is it that you long for? What is it that you desire in your own uh, story of journey of faith? And did you hear what she said, that she had tried everything in this life in order to fill something that was in a void in her heart? Uh, she met this person by the name of Alice, and Alice talked to her about this person, Jesus. She had heard about in her uh, childhood, but never thought that that would be a reality that would change her life. And because of that Jesus, that Jesus, she is uh, forgiven, she is loved, she's accepted. I wonder what is it from Amanda's story that we long for. Uh, today we look at Luke 15. It's a story of rescue and redemption the love of God for the unbeliever and for those of us who are far from God. It's a familiar story. Uh, it has been told and retold for uh, 2,000 years, reimagined. But what makes it so important for us is that when we hear this story, uh, we can say, oh, that's my story. 
As we look at that today, here's what's going on in Luke 15. There was a man who had a son, and this son had a deep longing inside of him that apparently wasn't being met in his father's house. We don't know what that was, that longing inside his heart. It could be for purpose. It could be for love. It could be the thought that whether something greener on the other side of that fence, we're not sure. But, and so this young man just goes on a search to fill this ache that is inside of him. We do the same. We look for those things that will fill the ache, the void that's inside of us. And when we do, more times than not, those things that we look toward to fill that ache, that void in our heart, lead us away from God rather than toward God. Because we normally will try God as the last resort. And so for us to identify with this prodigal son, we realize that we too can be led away from God. And a lot of times, like this prodigal, people will say to us, oh, you are going in the wrong direction. We don't believe them. We think they are going in the wrong direction. You see, I've got this mission that I'm on to fill this ache that's in my heart. So we go through life and we think we're going on the right direction and everyone else is going in the wrong direction. And so we search and we begin to make bad choices just like we find in the story in a minute uh, as we look at. As we search and search and, and search and uh, there's got to be more decisions and those got to be more decisions are driven by false assumptions that we have in life. A false assumption is something like a relationship. We believe that if I ever find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, then I will be happy. And so we search and we find this person that we assume that is Mr. or Mrs. Wright. But after a while, we realize that person, that individual, is not making us happy. So we believe that we found the wrong Mr. Wright. Or it's about our, our profession our occupation, that if I ever can get to that corner office, if I can ever sit behind that desk, if I can ever achieve that level there that I see, then I will be accepted. And so we get the education, we follow the steps, and we finally get behind that desk in the corner office, and we realize that there's still a void here, that that has not fulfill the longing that we have inside. So like the prodigal, we leave, we journey, and we find ourselves away from the Father's love. And in that moment of being away, uh, we wake up. And in that moment, we are just filled with regret. Regret where we have gone down this path, or we followed this hope so, and when we get to that moment, we wake up, and we say, oh, how could I have been so dumb? How could I have followed that path? That's what regret does for us. Maybe some of you, uh, looking back on your life and your past and your journey, uh, maybe you feel the same thing of that's not giving me purpose. I don't have a sense of meaning. And I hope that it would. Maybe you identify right there. And that's exactly where we are introduced to this 
prodigal son by Jesus. You see, when Jesus introduces us to this prodigal son in chapter 15, the young man seemed certain he had a grip on life. He knew exactly what he wanted in life. He knew he didn't need his past. He didn't need his family. He didn't need his history. He had it all made on his own. I don't need any of that. And so he went to his father and he made this request that is just mind-blowing. He said, I want my inheritance. Now, for us, we have a different understanding, but back then, that is saying to your father, I wish you were dead, Pop. You see, if you were dead, then I can have my inheritance. So give me my inheritance now, and you will be dead. And the boy takes the money. He goes off to a distant land, and he goes off to Party Central, where everyone's your friend as long as you have the resources but we understand the reality of the story. A reality that the young man didn't understand that we need to understand. You see, the boy thought he didn't need his father, he didn't, didn't need his past, he didn't need his family, he didn't need his history. He doesn't think he needs anyone or anything but himself. And a subtle reality that the young man should have asked in the story that we also ought to ask is this. Where did the young man get the clothes on his back? Where did the young man get the clothes and the possessions that were in his suitcase? Where did the young man get the change and the money that was in his pocket? It all came from the father. You see, like some of us, we are like the prodigal. And we say, I've got the same attitude toward God. I really don't need God. Because everything I have came from me. I mean, I'm the one who busted my tail in order to work and get what I got. Where was God in that? I didn't see God. It's all on me. And so we have that same kind of attitude. And like the prodigal son, you may be thinking that you're doing just fine. In some ways in life, you can say, I'm doing just fine. But for you and me to know, here's the deal. Our life is not independent of God. All that we are, all that we have comes from God. Just like that last heartbeat. Just like that last breath that you took. That's a gift that comes from God. The prodigal son in Jesus' story didn't see it that way. He was young. He was foolish. He was oblivious to all that he had that came from the father. He took it for granted. And so this boy went looking for love in all the wrong distant places. And he squandered and he blew his inheritance. And from the story, uh, we find that he blew that inheritance on parties and on prostitutes. And then he wasted what he had until he was broke. He was penniless. He was hopeless. And we look at that story and it's heartbreaking. Where's the hope? There's no hope. That's what we began to think. And it seemed that he had ruined his life. Or had he? Don't miss this spiritual truth. The truth is God, God doesn't waste anything 
for our rescue if we're open for it. God wastes nothing. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke 15. Look at it in your Bible. It's going to be on the screen. And we begin with verse 14. It says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he, the young man, began to be in need. I bet he did. Let's go further. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Uh, For a Hebrew, this is the lowest of lowest because pigs or swine, uh, they were unclean animals. And here he is out in the field feeding these unclean animals. Let's look further. Next slide, please. He longed. I underline that. To fill. Notice that word. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He had a longing to fill the things that were inside him, and no one was helping. Folks, this is down. This is down, down, down. He's at the lowest of the low. Have you ever been there in your life? But here's where hope begins. Here's where the rescue story for this prodigal son uh, begins. In verse 17, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There are two phrases that are underlined in verses 17 and 18 I wanted you to see. The first one is when he came to his senses. The second is in verse 18, I will set out to go back to my father. When he came to his senses, the first statement, let's talk about that. Uh, This is proactive statement on the part of Jesus. There's so much meaning behind this statement. What does it mean when he came to his senses? This is what I think He meant by that. I think the prodigal son's case, the young man realized just how low he had reached. How empty it really was. Uh, The true condition of his heart and of his soul. How he knows how bad life truly is. So he thinks about home. And he begins to have a new longing. Not a longing for something to just fill his stomach. But a different kind of longing in his heart. I just wish I could go back home. That's what we see here when he came to his senses. And that's another good place for us just to push pause for a second where we might ask this hard question, asking, if I don't change the patterns of my past, where is my future headed? If I don't change the patterns of my past, where will I be in five years? Where will I be in 10 years? Where's my future headed if I do not change the patterns of my past? I think this young man says, I have to look deeper in my life than I have ever looked before. I have to go way deep to see in here. And he also knew it was no one else's responsibility but his own. No one could do that for him. It was only the young man. 
So the young man, like Amanda in the opening video, came to his senses where he says, I can't do life on my own anymore. I have messed it up quite nicely on my own. I need someone else to rescue me. And the young man starts imagining how his father's hired servants had it made. What would it be like, he began to think, for him to have three square meals a day, for him to have a roof over his head, for him just to serve his father without anything in return? What if, he began to think. In the ministry, I found that you can talk to anyone who has found their way back to God, and they will come back to the story where they were broken in life, where they had a wake-up call, and they came to their senses. They will carry you back to that one place, a wake-up call where they will tell you about a time of guilt, a time of boredom, A time of fear, a time of addiction, a time of divorce, a time of grief, a time of illness. A place where they just started to evaluate their life and they said, enough. I'm no longer going to be living like that. My future is going to be different. So after weighing all of those options, this prodigal son came to his senses and he gets a a vision of how life can be better. In this defining, life-changing moment of his, he climbs out of that pig pen. He washes himself off, and he begins to go back toward the father and the father's house. Here's a couple of things I want you to notice that you can write down that deal with this young man's rescue. It's important for us as well. When we come to our senses, here is how it works When we come to our senses, some of us just need to wake up. You can write that down. We just need to wake up. Some of us need to take a hard look at our lives and where we are headed if we do not make some changes. In Old Testament, it says that all we who are like sheep have gone astray. We have all gone astray, each and every one of us. In that waking of ours... That waking up of ours, two of the most important words that can ever be said in a body of believers like this, in a community of believers like this, is me too. Me too. Not how you doing. I'm great. Me too. How's life? It's good. Me too. But if we're getting up from the pig pen, if we're washing ourselves off, if we are journeying from a distant land back home to the Father, the most two, the, two of the most healing words we can ever say in a body of believers like this is me too. Because if you journey back and you've been in that distant land, you don't need somebody pointing their finger at you and saying you shouldn't have. You ought not to. I can't believe you did that. But they need someone coming up beside them and saying, me too. I've been there. For us as a body of believers, for us to celebrate 
the rescue and the redemption in people's lives and not the judgment of where they've been, but the me too. For us to understand that it's okay to not be okay. Because I want to introduce you to someone who can make you okay. And that person is Jesus. He changed my life. And I want you to meet him. Folks, as one of your pastors standing here, I identify with this prodigal story just like you do. When I look at this story, I say, me too. Like, have you ever been a jerk to your spouse? Me too. Have you ever yelled at the kids on the way to church? Me too. Have you ever wanted to fuss and cuss the person who just cut you off in traffic this past week? Me too. But I was afraid as one of you. You see, the people, the people who don't find their way back to God are people who say, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm not going to deal with that today, so I will delay, delay, delay. Yet everything changed for the prodigal son when he came to his senses. Some of you or someone that you know are right where the prodigal son is. Love of your heavenly father is saying, come on home. My arms are open wide. I am waiting for you. But yet you choose to just delay, delay, delay. You see, the prodigal son stepped out in the power of God, and he headed in a new direction. And to put it in our vernacular today, if we are on social media, we can say that he came, period, to, period, his, period, senses, period. Hashtag rescued by the Father's love. The prodigal son. The second part of the journey back home also includes this. Because there are a lot of people who wake up with heavy regret. And they just carry that regret on their shoulders all the time. Just shame all over them. But what they haven't done is that they haven't taken the second step that the prodigal son took where they turn and they go back home. The prodigal son said, I will set out and go back to the father. I'm returning home. Now, the biblical word for that returning home is the word repentance. You can write that down. Depending on your church background, you may hear the word repent, and you can have all kinds of uh, baggage associated with that. Uh, for some of you, you may think of uh, repentance as going into a confessional booth, and there's a, 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 a priest behind a screen that you have to repent and confess to. Or maybe you are more familiar with some kind of revved up preacher that's red-faced, that's on the edge of the stage, and he is shouting to you, you better repent, and you better get down here right now before you go to hell. There's not much life-giving in that. There's a lot of manipulation 
and coercion. Uh, as I studied Jesus, I never saw him ever doing that. But the word repentance in the Greek uh, comes from metanoia. And it's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of changing direction. And, and that's what we see here uh, in this story with the prodigal son. Where we think differently because the young prodigal son got up and he headed back toward his father. It was a change of mind. It was a change of thinking. That is what repentance is. For us to wake up in our lives, for us to really start over, we have to come to this life-giving, defining moment where we actually head in a new direction and say, Father, I will. Do you see that? Do you see the Father, I will spirit in verse 18? I will go back home. To everyone who's serious about finding your way home, um, back to God. It may be for the first time or for another time, but it's a very defining moment that each and every one of us have to have. It's realizing that what I'm doing, how I'm living my life now, isn't getting it. So I turn, and I have to leave something behind. Maybe you leave a relationship behind that's dishonoring to God. Maybe it's a set of circumstances that's dishonoring to God. Maybe it's unforgiveness that's standing in your way and a hurdle between you and God. Maybe it's a constant sin that you just cannot shake. It's just always part of you. Uh, maybe it is a phone number in your phone that you need to delete. Maybe it's accountability software that you need to put on your computer. But you slam the door on your past and you say, Jesus, I am coming back home to you. There's a defining moment, the I will spirit that we see in Luke 15. So why did Jesus tell this story? Because Jesus wanted the hearers then, the hearers today, for us to understand the love of God. For us to understand that He loves us unconditionally. We can be like Amanda and have all the different things that we can list of why He shouldn't love us, but He loves us unconditionally. And so we make that turn and we begin to go back toward the Father. Others may write you off because of that decision. God never does. You want to know who the most miserable people in the world are? The most miserable people in the world are those who wander from God. They get broken. They come to their senses, but they don't have the humility. They don't have the courage to say, I will turn. I will head back to be with my father. No wonder the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner returns to the Father. No wonder the Bible says all of heaven rejoices when one decides that they will live a Christ-like life. All of heaven rejoices. Those are historic moments. And all of heaven takes notice when someone like you and me just wake up and we walk in the direction of the Father. That moment may not be applauded by family or friends. 
That moment may not give you recognition, a plaque on the wall, or thousands of likes on Facebook. That moment, other people may not understand. But hanging in the balance for you in that moment, all of heaven rejoices. I've thought about that story, and I've thought about today, and I've prayed for this day. Because I, like you, I have loved ones who are not followers of Jesus. And I stand by open gravesides, and in my heart, I say, I don't want that for my loved one. For them to enter into eternity and have not known Jesus Christ. I can't make that decision for them, but I can lift them up before the throne of grace and to say, with you, we will lock arms and we will pray for that person. Tomorrow, I will stand next to an open grave, and once again, I will think that thought. And I know you, like me, have family members friends that are not followers of Jesus. And I had wondered about the rescue story for them that we so desperately want. So here's how I see, having heard the story from Luke 15, and for us to have and become uh, a body of believers that want God's love just to come and to knock their legs out from under them in order for them to return to the Father. That we're going to have a time of prayer where we will stand and you will just pray for that loved one of yours, bring them to the throne of grace and that we will not just hear a sermon. We're going to do something about that because it's so much on my heart that I cannot let it go. Lord, you pray. I pray for this person. Come. Be their rescue. And that's what I ask of you. For us not just to hear but for us to be constantly on our knees praying, Lord, open up the door. If there's a conversation I can have or let someone come in and be their rescue that will point them to the rescuer. Will you stand? Will you put that name in your heart, in your mind, and not just be somebody for today, but for the next day and for the day after? I know your love for the unbeliever and for those of us who've drifted far from God. Lord, come and wreck their life like you did mine. Be the rescue. I'm going to pray, and you just pray for that individual. And at the proper time, Candace is going to sing, really, what this is all about. Our story of faith. Lord, we can stand here in your presence and we can pray. 
hear our prayers. I've consistently prayed for this family member of mine. As long as I have breath, I will continue. I can't make that decision for them. But I can point them back to the Father. And as a congregation, as we stand here, we realize that we can come and kneel. We can gather around your throne and if that's what you call us to do, so be it. But thank you for being our rescue. Thank you for bringing us back. But we don't want to come alone. We want those loved ones you've put in our life to be right there with us. Lord, I ask you to hear the prayers of my brothers and sisters in this place. And know on this day, we will not, we will not give up. Pray for those that are far from you. Just bring them home. I pray in the sweet name of Jesus.